This is Diakonos, a Cops Calling Podcast, Season 3, Episode Number 5. And on this episode, I kick up the dust with a 35-plus year veteran of law enforcement and chaplain, MC Williams. I'm Anthony Weaver, and on this podcast, I like to accomplish several different things. I like talking to solid cops and giving them a chance to help you better understand what it's like to be a police officer out there. I also like to push back against the evil narrative against law enforcement in this country. And last, but definitely not least, I like to share hope, true hope, only found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My guest on this episode helps me check all those boxes. His name is Michael M.C. Williams. He has over 35 years of experience in law enforcement, and he is also a chaplain leading the Centurion Law Enforcement Ministry. During our conversation, we talk about his lengthy career, being wounded in the line of duty, the concept of guardian versus warrior, his Code 3 urgency that he has for those who have not repented and surrendered to Jesus Christ, plus much, much more. After our conversation, I share an update about the podcast. I highlight two people in a very personal cue the dip, and I close out the episode with Acts 16.31. My guest on this episode is Michael M.C. Williams. He has over 35 years of experience in law enforcement, retiring as a state criminal investigator in Colorado last year. He has a wealth of experience serving in many leadership roles and units. Currently, he serves as a civilian investigator and instructor. He is also a chaplain and leads the Centurion Law Enforcement Ministry. MC, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your career and share your faith. I really appreciate it. Brother, I'm honored to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So right off the top here, I, I just wanted to touch on a fact that uh, here in a couple months in May, uh, you and and some other uh, people who, who serve on the Centurion Law Enforcement Ministry are going to be going down or going to police work, police week. In Washington D.C., can you just talk a little bit about what your ministry does uh, there in Police Week? Sure, we're part of a multi-ministry team made up of uh, fellow officers and chaplains, primarily cops uh, who become chaplains. That's kind of my deal. Uh, a, a cop who's also a chaplain. I I, I simply like to say that I do uh, I, I minister to my own from whatever. Uh, area you want to call it from a warrior focus, but a yeah. uh, servant warrior focus. But every year in Washington, D.C., for those who are in law enforcement probably know this, but um, every year some 40,000 of us descend on Washington, D.C. Uh, for one week, Washington, D.C. in May during Police Week is the safest place in America um, because everybody's carrying, every cop there is carrying a weapon. Uh, overwhelming to the TSA folks, where, where wherever we're at, checking our weapons uh, in droves, they're completely freaking out. But our whole focus is, uh, and what God laid on the hearts of myself, uh, Jim Bontrager, who's a, a former cop, uh, still very, very active chaplain in Indiana, and uh, Kevin Bernard and I, the Lord literally stuck us together, and we were looking for a way that we could best reach our own in what is essentially a target-rich environment uh, of cops coming to D.C. to honor our fallen 
And then the wives of law enforcement officers who've been slain coming there with concerns for police survivors for their, for their um, a conference, which is part of this. But it's, it's literally a week uh, spent at our memorial at an at a entity called Tent City, which is the largest bar in America for a, for a week, um, and cops are self medicating um, on the National Mall, which is where we host our candlelight service, and on the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol, where we have um, our annual memorial service, uh, which um, uh, is a t- supposed to be a time for us to honor our own, but unfortunately, sometimes politicians get in there and do really right. weird things. We could talk more about that if you like, but that's <laughs> that's the mission. That's the mission yeah. for Police Week. So you have a tent set up there, and then what type of thing things are you doing? Are you praying with people, just sharing the gospel, just talking to people, like a little bit of all of that? Sure. Well, um, Tent City is is they call it that because it's literally a city of Vendor tents set up with everybody selling everything from 511 to, well, they won't let anybody with firearms, but 511 and uh, uh, some firearm related stuff, gear, t shirts, um, cigars, booze, uh, booze on top of booze. Right. Um, and everybody's got something to sell except for one group, and that's ours. When the Lord put it, and we pay just like anybody else, but we literally haul trash uh, for um, uh, Fraternal Order of Police Lodge Number 1 in D.C., which is the organizer. We haul trash. We do whatever is needed. But we're based at our tent spot, uh, which has grown, started off as just one 10-by-10 space. Now we're up to two. and Literally, we are giving everything away. We're giving away Bibles, tracts, books, materials. Uh, I jokingly say I'm in the book because some of the books we give away, I'm I'm in there somewhere uh, in terms of a reference. Or, uh, for example, J. Warner Wallace's uh, Cold Case Christianity uh, yeah. Centurion Ministries in there as a reference. Or if you go to Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's um, on spiritual combat, I'm. I'm, I tell people I'm on page one, the very first page you open to. Um, I, I've got a little blurb, but uh, it's really not about me. It's about us loving on cops who are hurting, and and we 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 don't force anything. We give away coffee. We're the only place that does that. It's very popular in the morning when they open because literally that everybody's hungover. When I say right. everybody. Everybody but us. Yeah. Uh, but we, we look to, to pray for people. We have a patch exchange. Everybody wants to patches. We say, hey, you want a free patch? Uh, I got my brother from uh, Kevin Bernard from Philadelphia. PD, he'll, he'll bring a stack of patches or a box of pat- patches. Say, hey, you want a free patch? Sure. But hey, you got to let us pray for you. And uh, people will usually let us pray for them. You'll, you'll see more Blessed Are the Peacekeeper shirts at Tent City than any place in America. But the, but the average person, in fact, the vast majority of the people wearing them have no idea that Matthew 5, 9 has absolutely nothing to do with cops. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Zero. And I've, Zippo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've read 
uh, some of the stuff you've written, some of the devotionals you've written about that passage. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I, you know, I, I just, I got to know you, know of you through another podcast called uh, the Hard Men Podcast that uh, Eric Kahn does. Uh, really mm-hmm. enjoyed that podcast, and I heard you on that podcast, and then I, I started checking out your stuff and reading your stuff, and just have really appreciated uh, the stuff you put out there. And and uh, yeah, I'm just honored to have you have you on. So. Yeah, definitely want to get more more into like your testimony and and uh, how you how you came to faith in Christ. But kind of want to start back and just find out, you know, where you grew up, uh, your neighborhood, family, um, and then what caused you to decide to get into law enforcement and why. Uh, sure, uh, I grew up all over the world. I was a military kid. Uh, my okay. dad was a career mili- Air Force guy, uh, a, um, an NCO. People talk about military brats; those are usually officers. There was no brattiness in, allowed in my family. Um, but we grew up, I grew up all over the world. I was born in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm a like, lifelong Viking fan, but I've probably okay. spent no more than maybe six months in Minnesota my whole life. Um, uh, we, I, I jokingly tell people, it's probably more than you want to know, but I got made in the Philippines. It was in the hottest humid place on earth and got... Uh, and was birthed okay. in northern Minnesota, which some people would say is one of the coldest places on earth. But um, uh, started there, lived all over the United States, uh, Germany, Turkey, the Philippines, several times. I actually graduated high school in the Philippines. Uh, I'd been in Texas for the longest. I, we'd never been in one, any one place longer than a year and a half until wow. um, uh, I got to uh, Texas. Uh, went most of my high school there, played football there. I uh, went to the Philippines for my senior year, uh, came back to, to college in East Texas at Stephen F. Austin State University. And jokingly, uh, people say that I'm the slowest middle linebacker in school history. <laughs> um, uh, uh, played ball uh, through the through and as a as a field athlete. Uh, I flew that self-taught in the hammer. We didn't even have a coach who taught that in Texas because it just wasn't done. Uh, but uh, went to college there, uh, served in the military, uh, was commissioned in Texas, served most of my time in the Navy in Texas, but uh, did all that uh, as a person who grew up believing in God, was raised in a, you know, a liturgical uh, group that's based out of Rome. I think you can figure that out. Um, I can yeah. still, I can still, and I'll just do it right now. I can, I can say the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Latin. And no one is Patris, is Filia, Spiritus, Santos. Why I remember that, I have no earthly idea, but I right. don't remember anything from trig or calculus, but right. I can remember that. But anyway, I, I grew up all over the world, went to college there. And when I, when I was commissioned in the, in the, in the Navy, it was for a graduate program in physical therapy. And uh, I had I was a strength coach on top of everything else, and had never served in the military. But what I learned about myself in this process is that God, even though I didn't know Him as Lord and Savior, I truly believed I was called to serve and protect. And that really stems from my whole life growing up. I was the guy. I was a big kid early, and I was the guy who, when people were picking on the handicapped kid or the weak kid. I would be the guy that uh, I realized now God was strategically placing me in positions so that uh, I would walk around the corner and I would say things like, hey, you know, I'm saying this now from a movie that wasn't out then, I'm your Huckleberry. 
why don't you come pick on me? Um, uh, hardly ever got into anything. They, I, I scared the you know what out of people. But um, God had placed a call in my life, and it literally was an event. I was in San Antonio, Texas, back in Texas, and I was with a. We went on a run with the Marine Corps. My unit. Okay. We're running with the Marine Corps, and we're running by. Um, we're in a run in hot, humid San Antonio, and we're running by the uh, polo grounds on the outskirts of San Antonio. And one of my fellow uh, officers says, we should go to the polo grounds and raise money from the poor. And I'm like, do you realize that the poor can't play polo? <laughs> it's a rich man's sport. Right. That was it. And um, I ended up, uh, we were at a time, we were at peace. We, I served at you know, the end of the Cold War. And uh, uh, I had ended up with an opportunity to go to work as a, to apply for a position in, as a cop in San Antonio. Ended up getting hired, and I knew the very first day of the academy that this is what I was meant for. And I'm still, understand, still an unbeliever at this point. So having that like call, like that call, even though you didn't know it was a call at the time, um, and, and having that drive to get in uh, law enforcement, what agency did you start out with then? With San Antonio Park Police. And, okay. All right. And then did you work for, for other agencies as you progressed through your career? Oh, absolutely. So the whole, the whole focus was to get hired in Texas and get to Colorado. Okay. <laughs> I, and why, I is that? why is live. that? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, why is that? Why did you want to get to Colorado? I, I detest the heat and humidity. Okay. Uh, it's already hit 70, so I'm now officially ready for fall. Um. Uh, I grew up in some of the hottest humid places. I, I remember in Texas putting on body armor, and before I could get out the door, I'm already soaked in sweat and, and wouldn't stop sweating. My first job as a cop was a foot beat on the San Antonio Riverwalk. Okay. Uh, and I would lose sometimes. We had to wear white cotton T-shirts under our armor, and I would, I would literally lose 20 pounds a day, it seemed like. But anyway, I, I wanted yeah. to move to Colorado. Uh, I loved being in law enforcement. Uh, I, I was, I was, God gave me a gift. Even as an unbeliever, I, well, I was more like Samson. I believe the gift was mine. I didn't believe it was God yet, but right. um, um, I had, a, I, I had been given a, or been given a very rare, I think, a gift. Anyway, the, uh, the Lord opened an opportunity. I believe the Lord opened an opportunity for me to move to Colorado in 1990. And then I stayed in Colorado um, until uh, uh, early 2000s, uh, went through a terrible divorce, um, a terrible relationship after the, the divorce, which was completely ungodly, and um, ended up taking a position uh, as a police officer, a quickly promoted to sergeant, on an island in the South Pacific that we took back from Japan in World War II called Kwajalein. I was oh a, a DOD cop on Kwajalein Atoll, the biggest atoll in the world, but the biggest island was three miles long and a half mile wide Wow! In the, on the equator. So I went, I hate heat and humidity, and I went to uh, the king of heat and humidity um, uh, on this island uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, halfway between Hawaii and Guam. And that was the place that we did... Um, Intercontinental ballistic missile testing, the Star Wars, the Reagan Star Wars program, which was the uh, developing the technology to intercept an intercontinental ballistic missile at 40,000 
or 80,000 miles an hour uh, in the upper atmosphere and vaporizing it with a big giant copper warhead. So I, I went there as a cop for a year, a DOD okay. cop, and then um, I was offered a position with a very elite unit in New Mexico with New Mexico State Police. And uh, uh, I went to New Mexico. I hadn't been in New Mexico since I was a little kid. And, uh, and again, I'd grown up all over the U.S., lived in New Mexico when I was a kid, uh, um, and ended up uh, with this really very, I mean, miracle of God, elite unit. And it was there in my hypocrisy, uh, living with someone outside of marriage, that I ended up in a Bible study for cops and two Albuquerque PD detectives God used to, uh, to lead me to a saving faith in Christ. Wow. So, um, and, and then did you, from that uh, department in New Mexico, did you go to any other departments or is that kind of where you finished out your, your, um, you know, uh, your sworn, sworn duties? Nope. I, I thought I would, I thought I was, that was the, the, to this day, the most, uh, fun job I've ever had as a cop and, uh, undercover doing all, I mean, it was awesome. Um, right. I was like, I was uniquely made for that, but I had made a God out of police work. Um, all these years I'm newly saved and, um, my former chief in Colorado put my name in unbeknownst to me for a chief's job at a small agency here in Colorado. And I ended up, ended up getting a call to come for, I didn't even know what this was about. Got a call to come for an interview as the chief's position ended up being offered that job, but ultimately I decided that I was not political enough to do what I was being asked to do. And uh, the way, easiest way I can say it is um, uh, they wanted Wyatt Earp to come in and fix a problem. And I can do Wyatt Earp. But once the problem was fixed, they wanted me to be Andy Taylor. Well, I, I'm not Andy Taylor. And the average tenure for a chief is three years. And... Uh, uh, here I was, a brand new believer back in Colorado, and uh, ultimately the the Lord uh, turned that job down. The Lord opened a door for me to serve with a small agency on a part-time basis while opening me a full-time position as a criminal investigator with the state of Colorado. Okay. And that's where right. I, uh, I finished out my uh, plainclothes career in 2020 and uh, finished, or actually a uh, uniform in 2020 on, a, on the side. and as a detective, and then finished uh, as a criminal investigator in uh, 2021, where um, I left, uh, retired, to go into full-time ministry for a year. Um, I didn't know how long that time was going to be. It turned out to be a little over a year, and uh, full-time ministry uh, uh, in developing a, a comprehensive safety and security program for a church, which is one of the things I do on the side. Okay. And uh, um and uh, now I'm, I continue. I'm, I'm still in the field. I civilian side as an investigator with the police department uh, here in uh, the Denver metro area uh, while continuing to do ministry as the Lord opens doors for me. Okay. And that civilian position you hold now, that, that's a little foreign to me. I, I don't know that we have anything like that here in Pennsylvania. So you're you're working with a police department, but you're on the civilian side, but still yeah, conducting yeah. investigations? Yeah. So in, in this state, and it depends on the size of the agency, but for example, in some of the larger agencies, when they'll, they'll have retired officers who will come back and work on cold cases okay, or work on um, uh, 
basically freeing up the full the uh, regular sworn detectives to do everything else. And because of the climate we're in here in Colorado and around the country, a lot of the guys who were uh, detectives um, are being sent back to the street in uniform, uh, yeah. given all the problems we're having with retention and so forth. But anyway, I my primary assignment now is doing backgrounds for new police officers. So it's okay. kind of like. Um, it's kind of like, if you will, in the Bible, the temple priests who retire and come back and help the uh, new priests. Uh, but it's a position that, uh, I mean, it's like kind of like knowing at the back of my hand, once I got the, the feel for it, I've been doing backgrounds, you know, my whole career as a detective. Uh, but doing background investigations, specialized stuff. I have a consulting business where I still consult with churches and schools on their safety and security programs, doing assessments speaking, uh, doing seminars. Uh, so that's still, that's part of the Centurion law enforcement ministry. And, um, I'm, I'm, I went from in this position I retired into of working really, really long hours in a Christian environment, but with no uh, work-life balance to, uh, finally being in a place where I can have some work-life balance and have time to do ministry. Yeah. Well, it, it, even though you you seem to have better work life balance now, it sounds like you're extremely busy um, and uh, and getting after it on several different fronts. Um, when it comes to the background investigations that you do, what um, I I used to do uh, some background investigations towards the end of my uh, the career that I had with Lancaster City. I'm now with a smaller agency, um, and I was doing some background investigations for Lancaster City. What's the most interesting thing? Or, or challenging thing about doing backgrounds uh, right now in our culture, um, or that's different than when you came on the job, things that you're seeing that's, that's just kind of uh, presents a super challenge uh, to getting people hired? Well, sure. And I'll try to answer that in a, in a kind <laughs> of a two-phased uh, way. Um, uh, first of all, the agency that I serve with, their background process, even hiring me as a background investigator, is the most in-depth background of anything that I've ever seen, we probably fail half of the applicants. Okay. Uh, so the standards for that are still very high. Uh, I jokingly say, unless you're a firefighter, because uh, there are people who've decided, and again, that's why I'm not sharing the agency. Um, there are people who've decided, depending on who's in leadership, um, I use a word that I really detest, woke, that um, uh, things like polygraphs and psychologicals and credit checks and standard, standard background stuff. Um, right. Even though I, I mean, I personally think, you know, polygraphs are, it's a, it's a great tool, but it's voodoo science. I wouldn't, that's right. why it's not, you can't use it in court, but um, the standards have been lowered, uh, not for the police side, not by a long shot, but for example, firefighters, I, I've always said that firefighters eat till they sleep and sleep till they eat, which is, <laughs> which is not fair. Um, and plus they do calendars. Cops don't do calendars. Um, but, uh, uh, the fireside, which is some of the things that I do from a background, uh, their standards are, are very different, but, but their testing process physically side is, is tougher than, than the police side. But right. uh, to, to really answer your question, um, what we're seeing across the board is standards being lowered. I think you're going to find out that what happened in Memphis is directly related to, uh, uh, I, I use this word, uh, woke policies, where people are trying to say that uh, uh, standards are, are racist, which is a lie from the pit of hell. 
It's completely right. untrue. Um, uh, but we're dealing with a different kind of person. And I'll give you an example. I had a young lady on a background that I'm doing, that I've done, who says, well, I just want to come in and be a detective. Right. Well, no, you got to be a, no, I don't want to do patrol. I just want to be a detective. Right. Well, first of all, there is a civilian detective because I'm one of those now, but, but even to do that, you have to have like, you know, 15 years of law enforcement experience. Well, I don't want to, I just want to just be a detective. And I said, so literally it was the shortest background I ever did. I wrote a letter of concern, a memo of concern, and that person wasn't continued in the process. But we are seeing standards lowered. Um, we're seeing, for example, I, I mean, I wish I could have gotten one of these huge sign-on bonuses for lateraling mm-hmm. to a different agency. Um, right. And the morale you know, is that the, I've never seen morale so low. We're getting a different kind of person. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And in this brave new world, uh, I'm seeing things like I've never really seen before from a, certainly not as a Christian, but for example, um, the husband of one of my applicants, we have to interview spouses, is the same sex as the applicant. Okay. So it creates, it does create uh, challenges, and, and obviously we're not sharing our faith with the applicants, but uh, right. um, uh, you know, it, it's a, it is a different world, and we're still seeing the same problems that, I'm in minist- that God called me to ministry to my own about, divorce, suicide, um, a rampant alcoholism, uh, the divorce side, rampant um, affairs. Uh, all the things that I go to, to, you know, that I'm in ministry to my own about uh, seems to have been personified to a higher degree than before. Right. Yeah. I think, um, and I don't know what you think about this. I think one thing I noticed as I, as I was doing backgrounds and even more so now is that it seems like the applicants that are putting in for the position um, and I think some of this comes, comes down and this is something I talk about often on this podcast is there's been a slip in mission for law enforcement, law enforcement, uh, right now I've, I, I've been a bit critical. I'm still on the job and doing it. And I've been a bit critical as a whole of law enforcement because it feels like, uh, it's kind of folding to culture instead of fi- fulfilling its, its biblical mandate that we find in Romans 13, one through seven. And it seems like a lot of the applicants that are coming into and want to do the job are seeking more of like a, uh, uh, a social worker type environment where when I came on the job, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to go after bad guys. Like I, I, I viewed it as law enforcement, not as social work. Can, have you seen that? Is, is that, does that resonate with you at all? Well, I think there, again, it, um, I think there's a there's a cultural shift, but also I, I think you're right on target. And really, what I I bring it to I I speak uh, a lot on the I'm friends with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. We're both uh, warrior focused, um, but what we're seeing is uh, people who've never been a cops, uh, pundits, politicians, administrators crying out that we need to, to uh, stop warriors and bring in guardians. And yeah. so you're bringing in what I call a guardian. It's an unbiblical guardian mindset. Uh, guardians are great when nothing is, um, when the proverbial, proverbial stuff is uh, not hitting the fan. 
Right. But when a when um, when a warrior is truly needed, the guardians will f- will fold. They will fail to return gunfire. They will. Some of them don't even want to carry a firearm. They will. Um, they will do what sheep do. Um, and the warrior, you know, who's been vilified, if there is one around, they'll engage, but the guardian will not. And so what we're seeing is. The best example I can give you is how popular these stupid lip sync uh, videos, cops doing these lip sync videos are, or cops dancing, you know, with as SROs. That's popular, but real police work is not. Um, right. I, I equate it if I post a devotional that deals with uh, Jesus's first words in ministry: "Repent and believe." I'll get five or six people who like it, but if I post a stupid joke or a cop doing a lip sync, the likes are off the page. Right. So that's literally where we're, we've gotten, we are literally seeing Isaiah 520 uh, calling, uh, uh, celebrating that we're calling what God says is good is evil and that what God says is evil is now good. We're seeing that played out across the board in this, uh, I, I, I'm being cynical here, this brave new world. Right. Um, and we, we're, we're definitely not getting the same kind of applicants who even, who even understand what it means to have a calling. Or, and, and I think that the, the concept of having uh, cops like me who put in three plus decades, I think that that is a really rare dying thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's super interesting. And I really appreciate what you said about the videos, the TikTok videos and the lip syncing stuff. It, 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 I, I, I'm not going to lie. It makes me nuts. I, I've talked about it on this podcast. It just makes me crazy because while I don't think it's evil in and of itself, it's just it's not on mission. Like we're, I, I don't understand why what happened within uh, the profession that caused us to start caring so much about trying to have people like us instead of just doing our job and serving the community. Um, and it's been disheartening to me. I, I, it's definitely disheartening to me as I've gone on in my career to see that. And uh, I, I mean, even for example, just today, I was on uh, my, my agency, my old agency's website. And, and I've, I've been critical of them now that I retired. And, and I was very outspoken towards the end of my career about some stuff that was going on that I thought directly violated my mandate and mission as a police officer, again, based on Romans 13, one through seven, but that's neither here nor there. On their website right now, they have this video that runs at the top of the website and all it shows is, uh, you know, cops high-fiving people, cops walking down the street, talking and smiling to people, cops talking to teachers, cops doing this friendly thing, cops doing this friendly thing. There's literally nothing on there that promotes this idea that, hey, these cops, and I no cops that work there and I know what they're doing, but there, there's, there's not this promotion of this idea of, of law and order that, that the main mission of our department is to enforce the law, not to talk to people and shake hands and, and win the hearts and minds. It's to enforce the law. And I just, I think that's so missing right now. Um, and again, that comes, a lot of that comes down to leadership, I think. Well, leadership, you have to put that in quotation marks because true 
servant leadership is yeah. one of the most is the probably the rarest of commodities within our profession. Yeah, I agree. And when you were talking about the issue in Memphis with those officers, I do think you're right. I do think as we find out more and more about what happened there, I do think we'll find out that the lowering of standards and some of the stuff they were doing may have affected that. But also, uh, very, I think the other thing we're going to find out is also very poor leadership, uh, a, a lack of, of, yeah, a lack of leaders and leaders that serve their people um, and then care about their people and then will address tactical and safety issues and, and will not allow that type of activity um, in their, in the people that, you know, they, they serve. Um, so I think those are, I think that was a good point that you made about that as well. Um, yeah, we're, we're seeing, we're, we've definitely seen a shift. The, uh, and when I became a cop, I, I, I've used this expression many times, it's the greatest show on earth. Right. I, I even love graveyards, which I now, I'm an old guy now, so that I can't even do them anymore. But I, I, I loved everything about uh, being a cop. Um, yeah. And I couldn't wait to go to work. Uh, I, I would have done it for free. And at the end of my career on my uniform side, I did it for free for a season. Um, as a, uh, it wasn't what you would really classify as a reserve, but it was a regular police officer doing, um, you know, pretty low pay. Uh, not much pay, just bare, barely pay um, on a part-time basis is how I ended up retiring the uniform uh, side, which was separate from my plainclothes. I was a, the plainclothes side, I jokingly say I should have gotten royalties from 511 because everything <laughs> I owned is, is still 511 pants, shirts, and everything else. But in any event, uh, it was the greatest show on earth. And I'm not talking about um, I've never put up with uh, bad cops. In fact, right. I mean, I started my career in San Antonio and, and it wasn't even there. I've never known, uh, the only racist cop I've ever known wasn't even white. So yeah. um, uh, nobody wants to be put in that pattern. Now, if I had started my career in the 60s in the South, it might have been something else. But, um, uh, and someone probably, I probably would have been found, you know, shot somewhere. But um, I, I've never put up with that. I've never seen it except from somebody who wasn't even white. Um, right. And I actually had to say something. You're, you're not going to call this person that and I can't use the word that they used. And this person said, well, I'm not Hispanic. I'm Spanish. This was in New Mexico. Right. There actually is that thing. There are, there are people who've, who are descended from Spanish conquistadors who came to New Mexico in the, you know, 400 years ago. And they've, there's still, there's still, there's a reason that they that we got problems, but um, I, I'm I'm digressing. But you know, I went into this job. I was my very first day in the academy. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, now my personal life is stunk to high hell, but um, uh, on the job. I embraced and still have on my wall here in my home office, the law enforcement code of ethics. We had to recite it out loud at my Academy graduation. Most yeah. academies don't even know what that is anymore. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I can still, I can still uh, recite part of it by memory. Um, and, and that's actually, if you dig into it as a Christian document, we went out and we chased bad guys. 
Now, you just don't see that very much. There's a couple of sheriffs in Florida, um, maybe a couple, you know, less places here, but some in Arizona. I remember a particular sheriff, I'll just leave the agency out, when the media asked him, why did you have to shoot him 16 times? He said, because we only had 16 rounds. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that sort of stuff makes national news. Right. Uh, yeah. well, I, I'm sorry, I need to be more fair. He said 16 rounds what was what was necessary to stop the suspect, 15 rounds was too few, and 17 rounds would have been too many. Yeah. But we... We're supposed to go out, and you, you've mentioned my signature passage of Scripture several times. The Romans 13, 1 through 4, the paraphrase is, is that God has called us in law enforcement to be his ministers. The word simply means servants in the Greek. Ministers for good, that's the law abiding, and a terror against evil. Right. Well, law enforcement has been emasculated now to the point that we are anything but a terror. Uh, uh, terror against evil, and officers are being shot now uh, because they're afraid to pull the trigger. Being more, if we used to talk about, uh, I'd rather be tried by twelve than buried by six. I mm-hmm. can. It's realistic now to say, and, and I get it, that we'd rather be uh, buried by six than tried by twelve. Yeah, it, you're exactly right. I literally just said that same thing uh, a couple episodes ago where that seems to be the general consensus now. More willing to, to just take that, take rounds than, than do what needs to be done for fear of repercussions, uh, not only in your own agency, but by the press uh, and, and pundits who literally have no idea what they're, what they're talking about. Um, yeah, really good point. So just to backtrack here a little bit, so obviously your your experience, you have a wealth of experience, a wealth of of different um, positions and ranks. Out of all those, which which one did you enjoy the most, and, and why? Sure, uh, brother, I I live and breathe uh, servant leadership uh, because uh, you know I, other people. I, I mean, I get it; they deal with PTSD. I'm I'm blessed or injury. I don't really like to call it a disorder. A post-traumatic injury, stress mm-hmm. injury, uh, but I believe the greatest source of of post-traumatic stress that we have in law enforcement is bad leadership, uh, the lack of true servant leadership. And for me, being able to make the biggest difference of being a servant leader was the the times in my career that I've served at the rank of sergeant. Yeah, yeah. I, I went higher in rank, but really being able to truly make a difference and serve other officers, serve them, has been at the rank of a sergeant. I did, you know, I never, I turned down that chief's job and, and that never occurred uh, with me. Uh, but I thought the only reason I want to be a chief of police is so I can, I can do what President Trump did when he, his first year in office at our National Memorial Service. After eight years of horrific national leadership, a cop-hating leadership. He, he took the platform in front of our Capitol, 40,000 cops of, you know, every race, creed, and uh, position, political position, and he says, this ends here. I have your back. And all of us, even now just talking about it, tears streaming down my face, sweating in that sun under my glasses, the tears just streaming down down my face, think, hearing that our president had our back. Well, here's what happens. 
the vast majority of chiefs of police in America are politicos trying right. to hang on to their jobs who are horrific uh, 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 administrators or leaders who do not care for their, their troops. And the ones who do truly care for their troops, they don't last because there are administrators out there who want to get rid of cops, like uh, of police leaders like that. Yeah. So on a day-to-day basis, the, the, the way I approached it as a sergeant was when the, if the stuff's hitting the fan, let it come, let it spread itself out on me. I've got your six. As long as, and, and the greatest policy and procedure manual in the world is the following words, do the right thing. Yeah. Okay. So if my guys were doing their best to do the right thing and we're trying to train them and give them real training. On how to, you know, follow what we need. I'm not talking about these 600-page policy and procedure manuals that are now the norm. I'm saying, with, which is, there's no, none of us ever read those. You're going to get in trouble because you, you can't read it. Um, is who's going to back up your guys? And for me as a sergeant, I knew that I could say to, to a lieutenant, a commander, or the chief, officer so-and-so did the right thing. And and I will tell you, there have been certain circumstances where I've where I've had a chief tell him we need to fire so and so, and I would say to the chief, let me investigate this because I don't think what you're trying to do is just get rid of somebody. Uh, you know, knee jerk reaction is the way to go, and uh, probably about ninety five percent of the time, the person that the chief thought needed to be fired needed a commendation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I never rose higher than the rank of sergeant. Um, I'm, I'm on patrol again, uh, patrol officer now again, but uh, I did, I did get that sergeant position uh, in Lancaster City, and and yeah, I can totally feel what you're saying there. The, the ability to serve people below you, try to make them better, help them do their job better. Um, man, it was, it was one of the most rewarding positions. Uh, I was ever in thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was challenging. There were times I had to apologize to my people. Um, and, uh, you know, there were slugs that didn't like me, but the workers liked to be around me. And that was, that was huge for me. So, um, I can, I can feel what you're saying on, on that. Um, I did want to dive a little bit more into your career. You, I know that, uh, you suffered a, a, you were either wounded or injured on the job. Can you share that story? What happened? Well, I've been wounded many times. Okay. Um, I tell people I've been shot, stabbed. Uh, I, I don't really like to talk about being shot because um, I got shot with a 38 caliber that was in a 357 that was a wad cutter and went under my vest through and through. And it was a time my situation never made the news. And it was literally. A gruff old sergeant says, do you rub some dirt on that and get back to work? And I was back to work the next day. No um, kidding. Um, but had that round gone, you know, a little bit uh, to the to the, uh, to the the left, it would have been a gut shot. And who knows what would have happened with that. Right. Um, uh, being stabbed, I got stabbed out of my pure pride. Uh, I thought I could, I holstered my weapon, got stabbed holstering my weapon. Um, I thought I could do my, you know, I'm, I have some excellent skills in terms of defense tactics, but I thought I could do the, you know, some Kung Fu move and because I'd done it in the, in the dojo and, and in, uh, you know, in, in 
arrest control. Right. And uh, it, I ended up working it. Everything worked the way it should, but not before the, the blade sank into my arm. It was aiming for my heart. So um, I got lucky with that. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate uh, in terms of I've had numerous, numerous injuries. I, I chased a bad guy. I thought I was on the first floor of a parking garage. I was on the second floor and at oh, wow. night and chased a guy off the garage. And uh, we both flew through the air. People said, you, ever, you know what it's like to fly? I said, yeah, I, I flew, kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, through the air. Uh, landed, and I, I actually believe that those injuries led to what later became hip replacements in both my both my hips. Okay. Um, went back to work the next day with that as well. Um, bad guy landed, you know, uh, uh, belly flop and knocked all the air out of himself, and that was a very easy arrest um, after that. But I got lucky uh, with that. Uh, very fortunate. Very blessed. Probably the worst injury that I've had in my career, and it's kind of, you know, it's, I wish it was more romantic, but I had a female suspect that I was arresting. Normally, when you put, as you know, as you put somebody in the back of a car, you put your elbow against the side of their face and gently push their face away so they can't bite you while you put the seatbelt right. on. That's, you know, when I first started, we didn't put seatbelts on bad guys. We just threw them in the back seat, you know, type <laughs> stuff. But, um, then we got more politically correct and, you know, rightfully so. We got to put the seatbelt on them. And uh, this person said to me, you're going to enjoy this and coughed in my face. Uh. And I ended up with, I thought I had the flu, but I ended up with full-blown pneumonia. It probably should have killed me and ended up damaging my lungs. And I tell people, it goes, all this other stuff, all these other injuries. It was like, ah, it was kind of fun stuff. Not that, not that getting shots fun, but. I didn't feel anything. When I got shot, I didn't feel nothing. Right. I, 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 I literally, the sound of the rounds going off sounded like this. Yeah. And, and it was 10 feet away from me, but I distinctly heard those same bullets hitting the brick wall behind me, separate from the puh as an explosion and the brick shrapnel from the bricks spraying into the back of my head. And my, you know, just uh, uh, splattering me um, and everything slow motion like you would see like the Matrix, literally, that occurring. And then the bad guy throwing his empty uh, revolver on the ground and say, you can't shoot me, can't shoot me, which I'm, I literally had to let the trigger back up. I had the trigger partly depressed. And, uh, uh, you know, people, I, I actually got in trouble for not shooting the bad guy. I, I got... I got a verbal reprimand for not pulling the really? trigger. Now you would now I would get an award for not pulling the trigger. Right. But you know, I say I don't really like to talk about these things as much because brother, you and I both know. Um, I mean, just just yesterday in your state, two rural cops get shot. So yeah. um so many people are are so horribly wounded. In fact, I will tell you that. If I'm going to get, you know, was to get shot again, you, you better kill me because I really don't want to be paralyzed. Um, yeah. It, you get killed in the line of duty, you get a fancy funeral, even though people don't want to talk about, unless they absolutely know you're a Christian. We can talk about that more too. But the vast majority of my brethren are not. And mm -hmm. I know where they, they're going to spend eternity because they're not. But there's a living hell that people go through in this life for all the officers who sustained horrible, horrible injuries. 
and their lives are forever changed. They're in wheelchairs. They're, you know, they guys who've been shot with it. I mean, I'm friends with a brother who got shot in the face with a shotgun and he's still wow. chewing on a uh, uh, bird shot. still coming out of, out of his mouth from time wow. to time, years after he got shot. So, yeah. um, because of those things, I really don't really like to talk about my injuries as much, uh, but instead focus on uh, the question I want. I ask every single time a fellow officer is killed is, uh, was that person a believer or not? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such an important question. Um, you know, and I, I think too, like the, your, your stories of the things you've been through, the stories of officers who uh, currently are being injured and shot um, or wounded uh, in other ways um, on the job, uh, just, just lends to this idea that, um, you know, there, there's, there's so much risk associated with the job. And I think that it's just difficult when I see the level of demonization against officers and what they're up against, um, and the continuing, you know, emasculation of them and inability to really do what they need to do. And this idea that, um, you know, that the warrior mindset is a negative thing, is a bad thing. The, the problem is that that warrior mindset, even though 99% of your career, you may be okay, you, you still have to be ready for that, that 1%. Um, and you still have to be ready to go. And that warrior mindset and training that and knowing that is so important and is obvious helped you in your career in those moments you were in and has helped many officers before you and, and after you. Well, God called me to be a warrior. I, I don't have any doubt about that. And I said, well, where do you see that in the Bible? I said, second book of the Bible. What do you mean? Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. What? Mm -hmm. The Lord is a warrior. Right. I, I, will, I tell people the same, the same Jesus who went to the cross in his human flesh is the same uh, uh, second person of the Trinity who is the warrior of the Old Testament, the Christophany who would take on and empower uh, God's warriors to defeat their enemies. And, um, uh, you know, people don't want to hear that. And I said, look, uh, the, 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 the savior that the Jews thought was coming was the one who is going to come, the, the yeah. warrior on horse who's going to defeat Satan. Yes. And, and, of course, they, they believed that, you know, Jesus was supposed to be the guy who was coming to deliver them from Roman oppression. Um, but the greatest warrior and, uh, and greatest cop of all history is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's who he's called to be. And I say this repeatedly in my seminars when I speak. I say, look, if you're a true warrior, as my friend Jim Montrager likes to say, a tender warrior, a Christian servant warrior, we can do all that, we can do all that guardian stuff. But when the you-know-what hits the fan, we're going to respond like warriors. But if you're a warrior, I mean, a, 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 a guardian, when the stuff comes, you're going to curl up in a little ball right? and you're not going to respond the way you should. And, um, you know, we, I, we live in, you, you brought this up a little bit. I grew, I, as a cop, I detested what I call rods retired on duty. But right. now the only way to survive in this profession is to be a retired on duty, wait for the call, do nothing cop. That's literally where we're at. The the really the go get them cops today are going to get in trouble and get fired. That's yeah. that's literally where we're at today. 
And that's also the reason uh, I had two reasons when I finally retired the uniform side or even in this, you know, sworn side. <laughs> Good cops that I knew were being arrested for doing exactly what we they were trained to do. And, and, and they would end up most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, charges would be dismissed. But that's two or three years down the line. Right. And no one ever talks about no. that then. I, I, you know, again, I, people want to say all this stuff, but what occurred in Minneapolis, we could go on and on about that there, but probably the only officer who should have been charged with anything was Derek Chauvin, who, who was, who had become bitter as an officer. You had two officers who were three days out of the academy in field training with the other two. And only one of those four officers was white. Two were Asian. One was, was, uh, uh, part black um <laughs> Chauvin was the only white guy there and he was married to someone of a mixed uh, of a uh, who's married to an asian there was no racist anything there none of those cops should have been charged with except for probably Derek for not following standard protocols right none of that should have happened but that turned into a, a fiasco where cops coming out of that we're afraid to do their job. I say the same thing about what happened in Missouri. I mean, yeah. you've got you've got a guy who who literally caved in Wilson's face and tried to take his gun, but ended up there ended up being riots over this criminal being shot trying to take a cop's gun. Right. So are you know all these events, I believe Satan is using and God is allowing. Ultimately, the only authority Satan has on this earth is because God has allowed it. We're drawing closer and closer to the end times. Um, I, my hope every day is, Lord, I'm looking forward to your you know, rapturing me out of here. But in the meantime, help me stay focused because I want to take as many of my brothers as I can with me. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is unfortunate. I think one of the most unfortunate things. Uh, about you know the narrative against the police right now is that quick jump to just the the racism issue and when you look at the you know Derek Chauvin George Floyd thing um I, that was one thing that I really pushed back against I'm like I don't know Derek Chauvin maybe he is a racist but for people to sit on the sideline and just look purely at his skin color and the skin color of George Floyd and decide what's in his heart is evil. It's wrong. It's wrong to just look at that guy and say, well, he's white and the suspect was black. Therefore, this is a racist issue. It could be. And I, I was one that to, to say early on, like if someone proves to me that it's a racial issue, it, I'll listen to it. But to date, there's still been no evidence None. at all Zippo. that that was a racist issue at e all. Even in court, even in court, they admitted that they admitted, the court admitted the judge admitted, the prosecution admitted that there isn't an ounce of proof that race had to do with anything. They got a call of a suspect using a counterfeit bill, and it just turned out to be a person of color who had, by the way, taken a fatal dose, had a fatal dose of fentanyl in their system. Right. Before we knew you know, really what fentanyl was, but had a fatal dose, was probably going to die anyway. Not, not that, you know, I mean, 
brother, I'm old enough to remember when we would hogtie people with it. With yeah. I carried a hobble around my waist, and you got people trying to kick the kick the the uh, windows out of your patrol car. You pulled them back out. You put them down. You hobbled their ankles to their wrists. Well, we don't do that anymore because we've learned that positional asphyxia is a real deal. Uh, that really does happen. But I'm going to tell you that I truly believe um, the ambulance in the Chauvin case was delayed. They were running really late. My understanding is they got lost. And even if they'd sat him up, the autopsy would appear to reveal that he he had a fatal, unless they'd administered Narcan to him and knew what they were doing, George Floyd, unfortunately, was going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But instead we have is uh, America was set on fire. And these officers were accused of being racist, and there is zero evidence at all. We don't pick who who we arrest. I mean, if we're being proactive, it, and you're in an area that, I mean, there are neighborhoods in certain cities, and I mean, you can go to Philadelphia, and there is neighborhoods there. If you're a white guy, you're a minority, right? Or if you or if you're a black guy in certain neighborhoods, you're a minority. Or if you go to the Italian neighborhood and you're an Asian, you're in the minority. None of there. I just, I truly believe, my friend, that there is zero evidence at all of any type of legitimate racism in America. Because guess what? Even if you are a racist cop, you don't want to be called a racist cop. You don't want to be accused of that. You want to go through that. There, there's just no evidence. There was no evidence even in his background. He was a discontented cop and probably shouldn't have been an FDO anymore. He, he'd been on the job a long time and Minneapolis, quite frankly, treats, I got friends there. They treat their cops like crap. Yeah. I guess I, I don't know if I can say that word on the radio, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I say that, but I tell people, do your homework. The, the toilet was invented by a guy named Crapper. Okay. That's how, <laughs> that's where you got the word from. I, you can't make that stuff up. His real name yeah. was that, but, um, uh, and I don't know how to be politically correct. I just. I just want to yeah. be biblical. I just want to be biblically correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently, uh, even it might have even been today. I heard, I heard someone when talking about our country, uh, things that are going on in our culture, um, and and standing up for truth and pushing back against the negative narrative and and the negative stuff that we see out there as believers. Um, he he was saying that you know you should love your country, love your God more, and and. That really resonated with me because I enjoy talking to people like you who are steadfast in the faith, uh, passionate about the gospel, but willing to push back against stuff that's happening in our culture, in our world, in the profession that is not true and not correct. And I think that if anyone should be pushing back against it, it should be uh, Christians in this country. being good stewards of what we have and trying to prevent us from losing certain things that uh, are kind of like bedrock to our country. So I appreciate talking to guys like you who express yourselves the way express yourself the way you do. Well, you know that there's tremendous. Uh, you know, we we're supposed to take uh, to uh, pride the the right kind of pride, a biblical pride. Um, in persecution, because Scripture tells us that we're going to face persecution. Well, in America, for 200 years, there hasn't been a lot of persecution against Christians, but we're really seeing it now. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, right now is still making um, 
you know, some decent decisions. Coach uh, Kennedy, the 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 uh, athletic coach, football coach from Washington, the court yeah. just ruled uh, that he got his job back. Yeah. And and uh, but he here is a guy who gets fired for for uh, praying by himself on the fifty yard line after a game. Uh, so we're seeing we're we're truly seeing the last days of our nation. I I love my country. I fought for my country. I'm I'm a guy who sheds tears at our national anthem. Yeah. I my oath has no expiration date. I don't even know what that means to not have that oath. That this is, well, you're not a cop anymore. No, I'll be a cop to the day I die. I just have to wear that little retired pin, you know, with it now. Uh, but we're seeing an unprecedented amount of evil. Uh, the National Prayer Breakfast was hosted by our hosts during police week in Washington, D.C. for the last 40 years until this year where the current administration uh, didn't want a biblical host to the national prayer breakfast. Yeah. Was person was removed. So we're seeing these things come into play. But, but as you know, from listening to my testimony in the past and the things that I write, the average, here we are in a God ordained profession, Romans 13, one through seven, one through four, particularly, we're a God-ordained profession, but the average police officer is unsaved. I would, I would, I would tell you that that as professions go in America, the most lost profession in America is the one of two God-ordained professions found in the Bible: the pastorate and law enforcement. The my profession is, you know, you might see a bit more of it in the South or, or church cops, but the vast majority of police officers do not have a saving faith. And do not even understand that our true commander in chief um, is Jesus Christ. They have no understanding yeah. of that. Yeah, and and just to dive into that that faith aspect a little more with you, um, you you shared earlier while we were talking here that you weren't a believer when you first got on the job, um, and and went through some really difficult times. What what was it that caused you to end up at that Bible study? Like, how did you end up at that Bible study? And meet those gentlemen, uh, those detectives that uh, spoke into your life and, and shared the gospel with well, you. That was that was, was a totally God thing. I can't take any credit for that at all. Um, uh, none. I, I can't. And I will tell you that I was I was raised in a you know liturgical church. I believed in God my whole life. Right. I, I I've never. I mean, I takes takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Um, I believed in God, but. Uh, as James tells us, so does the devil, right? And trembles. So uh, that was me. I believed in God, but I actually would say things that my wife today, who wouldn't have had anything to do with me then, she says it's amazing that uh, you, know, you didn't spontaneously combust. <laughs> because I would say things like, because of all the women, you know, when I first started, we had in rodeo, we had what we called. Uh, buckle bunnies. We had girls who liked guys who were in rodeo. And then when I became a cop, we had badge bunnies. And this is not a, you know, an attack on, you know, women per se, but there are, you know, you put, you could take an ugly guy and you put a uniform on him and he still looks pretty good to, to the opposite sex. And, and I was, you know, I, I actually said this in group settings. I said, yeah, I know we, you know, we, we took a, you know, we, you know, took a vow you know, to be faithful to our wives, but 
we're cops and there's just no way that we can control ourselves with all these women who are throwing themselves at me. So I think God has given a special out. It's not in the Bible. I don't think I can't find it in there, but he's given a special Catholic word dispensation to cops because he knows that we can't control ourselves with all these women throwing themselves at us. So I said things like that when I shared that with my wife. She's like, what? She told me that when we were courting, she had to ask God, really, God? Really? Now, I wasn't, I wasn't the same guy then, but the answer to your question was, is I went through a terrible, terrible divorce. Um, lost almost everything I owned, uh, went, uh, threw away, lost, gave away almost everything I owned, went to Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands with 500 pounds of stuff to my name. That was all, and, and left my car, my truck at my, at my dad's, mom and dad's house in San Antonio, go overseas. And in my hypocrisy, lost hypocrisy, I actually had a call to start a Bible study for cops, but my personal life was still horrific in terms of purity. I go to New Mexico, move in with somebody who I'd met online, you know, years, this is, you know, when that was a new thing. Uh-huh. Um, here I am living with somebody, and again, using the same old excuses um, uh, that people still use today. And out of a miracle, a miracle, uh, the, there's an even longer story to it, but a miracle. I ended up at Calvary, heard about a Bible study for cops at Calvary, Albuquerque, Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, uh, that time one of the fastest growing churches in America. I go to this Bible study, go once. Next time I go, and the topic of the Bible study was being faithful to your wives and purity and God's standard for purity. And I remember sitting there with my Bible open and my eyes, allowing the Holy Spirit to open my eyes, realizing, and I asked, I asked Vince Harrison and Rockhart, the guys who led me to, God used to lead me to faith, I said, I can't justify this, can I? And they didn't know my situation. I hadn't even shared that. Right. And literally, God brought me to my knees, finally to repentance, um, surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, got baptized in the Calvary Albuquerque outdoor baptismal, which I found out later, I think the homeless were using that as a bathing area at night before, <laughs> before, before they had security all the time. But anyway, got baptized in my workout gear. Um, I was a nationally ranked weightlifter back then, and you know I was, that was really all I wanted to do is chase girls and lift weights, uh, get baptized. And God almost immediately planted me in ministry. My first ministry was church security. Um, you know, people say, what, you know, what, where'd you go to seminary? Uh, what qualifies you? I said, I'm completely unqualified. And I went to the same seminary that, uh, uh, Peter and John went to. What do you mean? What seminary? I said, I went to the, at the foot of my savior. Um, yeah. God literally, cha- rapidly, and there's, you know, the, we all go through a process of sanctification, but ripped me out of New Mexico a year later, uh, brought me back to Colorado, uh, introduced me to my wife, a miracle of God, 
um, you know, it, you know, it was other cops pushing me to start a ministry to my own in law enforcement. I didn't know what I was doing. I can look back on when I first started. It was all God. It was all Holy Spirit. And, wow. um, you know, and, and the outreach to law enforcement, unless you're in some place like Florida or whatnot, where people are, you know, or the South where people are heavily churched, it, I'm lucky if I get a half dozen people come, you know, to a police Bible study. And that was even in New Mexico. That, I mean, it, I think if we had 10, that was really big. Um, but that was the call. And really the reason for it is that I, this, this coming to faith in Christ also brought me to uh, attention to an issue. And that's the issue that if, when I got shot, if the round had hit someplace else, or when I get to heaven and I find out how close I, I mean, I probably should have been shot a whole lot more. I, I absolutely believe God saved my life on numerous occasions. If I look back, there's no way I should have survived this. Um, I, I would have gone to hell. Had I been killed before what happened at Calvary Albuquerque, uh, I would have gone to hell. Straight up. I, I, I would be spending eternity in hell. No, no ifs, no ands, no buts, uh, no, false, uh, 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 you know, no false purgatory, no false uh, prayers for the dead. I, w- I would have been in hell. But because of God's grace, he saved me, and it was painful because I'm a stubborn guy, so it was painful, difficult, uh, but God used that to, to and, and put a, a passion on my heart. I call it, you've heard me use this term, a code three sense of urgency to share the hope found only in the greatest warrior of history with the, the vast majority in my profession, the mission field of law enforcement, who do not know him. And that's really where we're at. We're, yeah. we're, that's where we're at today. The reason cops are killing themselves is because they have no hope. Right. The reason cops are, have, are, are cheating on their spouses and everything else is because it's a lot easier to go to the cute girl at the bar who thinks you're awesome when you got real problems at home. Um, and, but again, the vast majority of my brethren believe that uh, because of blessed are the peacekeepers, which isn't in the Bible, or blessed are the peacemakers, which is, that uh, God, ha- we have to go, be, he has to let us into heaven because we're cops and because of what we do in our career. And that's a lie from the very pit of hell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would say like, as I, as I've talked to many police officers uh, about the gospel and shared the gospel and, and I've had those conversations and just hope that uh, those seeds planted will, uh, you know, God will use to, you know, bring them to a saving faith someday before it's too late. The, the, the biggest thing that I've encountered, and I don't necessarily think this is just law enforcement centric, but it definitely has a, a certain ring to it in law enforcement is this idea that just like you said, salvation can come by, by good works. Like I'm a, I'm a good person. Like I deal with yep. bad people all day long. The people out there that I'm arresting, they're the bad people, but I'm the good person. And, um, how do you like as you're like talking to to officers who who have that mindset who believe that like what is what is one of the ways or or multiple ways that you combat that or just a, a scripture that you use to combat that um yeah how do you how do you uh how do you argue against that and and talk to people about that well a part of this comes with an understanding that that my policy ultimate policy and procedure manual the bible has never been disproven and you could probably tell me how many times your policy and procedure manuals have been updated, changed, uh, 
right after something bad happens, your policy and procedure manual get changed. The text that I that you know that I live by, this policy and procedure manual called the Bible, has never been disproven. Right. So it it does start off with here here's this book that has a specific passage, multiple specific passages about law enforcement. But um, how I approach it is this. First thing I tell them is the Centurion Law Enforcement Ministry is named after not just uh, Cornelius the Centurion, the good cop, but it's the Centurion at the foot of the uh, cross who supervised Jesus' horrific and unjust torture, a first century fed Roman Centurion, allowing this horrific torture of our Savior and an execution, uh, you know, illegal execution of our of our uh, Savior after three, some people say six, illegal trials. Mm-hmm. Then we could go on and on about that. But the ver- that same centurion, when he saw the evidence before him at the at when Christ gave up his spirit, said, and I believe that that centurion came to Christ. He said, "Surely." This is the Son of God. It's really translated, surely this is God. Right. But the first person that Jesus saved wasn't a cop. It was a criminal hanging next to him. On the, <laughs> hanging next to him. I said the first person Jesus got is what everybody would call the bad guy, right. the criminal, the thief. That's the person Jesus saves as he's on the cross. That person comes to faith. He's today you'll be with me in paradise, the place of the righteous dead at the time. Today you'll be with me there, hung out with Jesus for three days until the resurrection gets to go to heaven. And um, it's the cops sitting around in awe. There with earthquake, all kinds of weird stuff happens, people coming out of the ground, you know, and, and we got to pretend we're not seeing this. But, but really, it, it, it comes down to this. That I'll, I'll ask cops, if you died today, where would you spend eternity? Well, the vast majority of them says, well, there's this poem by the way, written by an unknown author. There's this poem that says we've done our time in hell. Or, blessed are the peacemakers. We get to go to heaven for that. Uh, or greater love is no one than this. And I said, do you really love all those criminals that, sh- that people are dying for, or you just love your partners? Well, I just love my partners. And I said, I bet if you really are honest, you probably love your partner's wife too, but he doesn't know about that. So cops think that because of what we do in law enforcement, that they get a get out of hell card and that there's a there's saint peter is actually literally at the gates of heaven who's going to say to him ah you've done your time in hell come on in that is a lie and then so how do i share that scripture with him i start off in john john tells uh, jesus tells the rich man john you know chapter 3 1 through 21 he goes you must be born again what, is, what does be born again means? It means being radically transformed. Oh, but Jesus says, God so loved the world. I said, no, please go on and read verse 19. He says, those who reject his love are going to hell. Only those who surrender to him in faith. And then I share this, 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 the Romans road with them, yeah. where, where Paul is emphatic. He says, none are good. No, not even one. He says, we are not saved by works, lest any man should boast. Yeah, we're saved for works, but we're not saved by works. That is only by being born again. And, you know, I, a lot of people still share the sinner's prayer, and, and I don't really do that when I preach. I, 
I said, nothing wrong with saying a prayer, but you're not going to find the sinner's prayer anywhere in scripture. How do I get saved? I said, you cry out to God like the thief did on the cross. You cry out to him and you save and ask him to save you. Jesus' first recorded words in ministry were repent and believe. Two sides of of the same coin. Repentance doesn't save you, but you can't be saved and not repent. So it's a change. It's a radical change. And, you know, I probably said the sinner's prayer, brother, I got to tell you, I probably said the sinner's prayer 50 times before I got saved. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's really, and and I do it with a sense of urgency because I don't have time to play. Um, And we, yeah, police week, we're in front of our tent space or we're at the memorial. And I'll say, hey, can I pray for you? And I'll, I'll never forget this one brother. He's with a very attractive young lady. He says, yeah. He gets real close to me and goes, pray that my wife doesn't find out I'm here with my girlfriend. Ugh. And my response was, I'm going to pray that your wife finds out you're here with your girlfriend. <laughs> That's awesome. It's probably not the right thing. But he comes running like, he, like a Catholic thing. Like I was like, you know, that I was demonically possessing him or something. And he, but his face turned white. I said, brother, you need to repent. We give away, give away all these free resources, whether it's uh, Jay Warner Wallace's Alive, his short little book. You know, got to give them short things because cops, we like short stuff. But, right. um, you know, give them resources. We give them this. We give them that. I share the story uh, of a Virginia officer. Uh, I share the, her story a, a lot. She was an atheist, but she led a Christian detective. Mike Mafakis, uh, on it. He goes, I want you, I'm going to let you talk to me about Jesus on this trip, and then I don't want to ever hear about it again. And, and this bold detective shared the gospel with this atheist cop, who then, being a good detective, started to go check it out, comes to faith, shares her faith at her church, shares it. And gets killed shortly after that in the line of duty. I go to her spot at a memorial. Where her tracks that were made for her, I found them in front of in various places at our memorial in DC. Still share her story. I will meet my sister in heaven because she surrendered her life and uh, to Christ as Lord and Savior because another cop had the courage to tell her the truth, and I got saved because two cops had the courage to tell me the truth. So we've got to we've got to do that, and we've got to do it with urgency because it has to be it has to be untenable for mm-hmm. us to say all these good things at a police funeral about this cop who gets killed while they're showing videos of him drinking and partying and doing all those stuff. Ah, he's a cool guy. Knowing that my in all likelihood that the slain officer did not died without a saving faith. And we'll spend eternity in the worst possible place for a cop. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that sense of urgency. It's encouraging to me to, to be more purposeful in the conversations I have um, because, you know, I've, I've had the same feelings. And I think one thing that drives me a lot um, to share my faith is some of the things that you've talked about. And this idea that I heard someone share one time that one of the greatest acts of love a Christian can do is share the gospel with people. And so many times we're silent and we don't do it. And it's actually showing a level of 
hatred to our brothers and sisters on the job and to people that we meet uh, when we don't when we don't share our faith. And so I think your word and your urgency is challenging to me. It should be challenging to other Christian police officers that are listening to this. Um, and it should prick the hearts of those who are listening that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, um, who have never bent their knee. Um, and and I, hope, I hope it has that effect uh, when people hear it. Uh, so I really appreciate that urgency in that message. When did you become a Christian and, and how long have you been on this journey and, and doing this? When did you come to faith? So, so this was, um, I came to New Mexico in 2004. So it was um, early 2005. Well, it was still fairly cool in New Mexico, but hot enough <laughs> where I was still wearing shorts. Um, early in 2005. And again, I'd been on a journey. Right. Um, God was already working on my heart. I didn't fully understand it. Uh, but you got to understand, too, where I came from. Uh, 25 years ago, I found myself in every cop's worst nightmare. Um, uh, I, I arrested a politician for DUI, and my life, my career, and my life changed forever after that incident. And the, the, <laughs> the short story of the long situation is I absolutely know what the working end of my Glock tastes like. Mm. I absolutely know what it tastes like. I became within a uh, a touch, less than a pound of blowing my head off. The only thing that saved me was the false teaching of the Catholic Church. The only thing, really good thing the Catholic Church ever did for me was a false teaching that I was going to go to hell if I killed myself. And I didn't. I ended up not pulling that trigger because I didn't want to go any place worse than I was already at. So I thank God for the false teaching of the Catholic Church. Uh, and I get to tell cops and said, you know, just because a brother kills himself doesn't mean that they're um, that they're in, you know, they're, they're in hell. But if they did that while they were unsaved, which I was, they're going to go to hell and you got to tell people the truth. But literally here I am in New Mexico in 2005, early 2005. So in the scheme of things, not all that long, a year later, I'm in uh, just a year after I'm saved, probably a year and a half after I'm saved for two years, I end up meeting my future wife who was, had been a Christian for quite a while, longer than me, um, really awesome woman. And, you know, miracle of miracles, God's grace, you know, just, you know, agree. She actually says she became my wife out of obedience to God. Wow. Because God, she says, God told her, he said, he's going to be your husband. And her response was, really, God? Really? The grossest man I've ever known is going to be my husband? <laughs> so... Yeah, she still says it. He goes, you're the grossest man I've ever known. And you think it's funny. And I do. I still laugh about that. Um, but I, God shoved me into ministry the same way that he shoved Peter and John. Um, I can't use Paul as an example because Paul was classically trained. Mm-hmm. and God, But God did something similar. He blinded Paul to get his attention. And he had to do some radical things with me, essentially taking me to one of the hottest, most humid places on earth out of the the state that I loved to get my attention and then deliver me in a state that I had no plans of, you know, God opened a door for me to go to New Mexico with New Mexico State Police and, uh, uh, you know, to start this journey in ministry, which to this day I still feel unqualified for. 
but God does the qualifying. Yeah. He, he's the one who does that. And when people ask me, what, you know, what qualifies you? And I said, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, qualifies me. And as you continue on this ministry um, and, and, you know, the challenges that law enforcement's facing, what, what, do you, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that law enforcement's facing? Other than, you know, obviously the, the spiritual aspect, what are some of the other challenges that law enforcement's facing that you um, strive to kind of like deal with and talk to people about and, and uh, push, push back with truth, uh, biblical truth? Sure. Well, we, we, we touched on it a little bit. I believe that that um, that we still, you know, I, I don't apply Second uh, uh, Chronicles seven fourteen to the United States directly, but I believe that um, if we have wholesale revival, that God will, um, or the prayer is that He will stay His hand on this nation for a little while longer. Um, I, I think, scripturally speaking, that the United States will not exist, uh, you know, post post-rapture tribulation times, we're not going to exist as we once did. I think our, we've already existed as a, as, a, as a constitutional republic. We've already existed longer than any other. We're a miracle of a nation. But what we need is genuine Christian servant leadership in our profession. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? If we replace all the crappy leaders in our profession with sold out all in Christians who are serving biblically as servant leaders who are taking on literally Jesus' admonition to wash. He set the example of what servant leadership was by washing his disciples' feet. A lot of people in America today, they don't even know what they mean. Oh, you just wash their feet, no big deal. No, you don't understand. There was no indoor plumbing in Jesus' day. Everything got thrown out the window. When people right. walked around on the streets of Jerusalem, they were walking through poop and urine. Dry, maybe, but still. And so when the, the lowliest servant of the house, his job was to wash the feet of the people coming in, because guess what they're tracking in? Absolute filth. And what did Jesus do? The greatest warrior of all history, God with skin on, washed his disciples' feet. So we, if we fill our God-ordained profession with Christian servant leaders, we could start making a real difference. And with that goes hand in hand. Um, when we do that, replacing it with people bold enough to speak the truth in love, but the truth, and and call out woke for what it is. It's a, it's a it's it's a demonic garbage. It's not true. It's a lie. When we start policing from a biblical standpoint. By taking, we don't, I mean, it doesn't matter what color anybody is. We treat everybody with respect. If you did something bad, you get to go to jail. My deal is like, I'm going to put Caleb on the radio and hopefully maybe they'll ask a question and give me an opportunity to share with them. Right. I have, I have prayed since I came to faith. I have prayed with hundreds of people on the way to jail. I complained on a couple of times for that, but they, but they'll ask me, will you pray for me? Yeah, bro. And, and we have to look at our, we have to look at the people we arrest. That's there, but for the grace of God, go we. Yeah, and you all you got to guess who gets. I mean, there's domestics every single day, but when a cop gets in a domestic, it makes front page news. You're all over the evening news if you're a cop who gets in a domestic. If we started treating people biblically, which means hey, if you're a bad guy, you get to go to jail. If we start actually sending career criminals to jail for a career, 
if we start carrying out the death penalty as God has called us to do, righteous death penalty, if we start policing with a Christian worldview and love and start allowing God to let us cha- you know, use us to change lives, we don't do nothing but allow God to use us, us, uh, us fallen people that we are, redeemed, we can make a huge change in our country. If we replace what's the leading in the United States today in the White House with a genuine Christian servant leader, now again, people in Congress will have a cow about that, but if you replace all of those people with biblical servant leaders getting back to the roots of our nation, if biblical servant leaders had been in place in, in our country, enough of them to beginning, who wouldn't have compromised on slavery, we wouldn't have had a civil war. So we, we have to take a look at where we're at, and God has given us multiple chances. But the real challenge for us is replacing what we got with what God has called us to be. Yeah. I love how you talk about servant leadership. I think it's, it's so lacking in the profession. I love how you talk about uh, the need for um, salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Um, also, just, I mean, I mean, really, that's where it begins and ends. I mean, if, if, if people would bend their knee, um, that, would, that would change a lot of things. And I'm just glad that, that you've been really uh, uh, urgent and bold with that, with that message. Um, even even here throughout this episode, and uh, just want to allow you to to have the final word, like the last thing you would like to put out there uh, to anybody that listens to this episode. I always give the final word uh, to my guests um, to just speak about, yeah, whatever whatever's on their heart. The the final thing they'd like to say. Well, first of all, brother, thank you for your heart. Thank you for the calling that you, that you've accepted from God yourself. Thank you for giving me this, this incredible opportunity to, to be on your show, uh, to share. My prayer is your prayer. My prayer is that some cop who doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior will hear this message. My prayer is that that, uh, that Christian officer who is feeling all alone will hear this and be encouraged and challenged to, to step out boldly in faith. and. Um, I, I bring it back to this. I, this is what I tell people to do every time. I said, you know, because the, the sense of urgency I have is so dire. But I'll, I'll ask cops, where are you going to spend eternity? A lot of them think they're going to go to heaven. I'll say, why? Well, I'm a good person. I said, here, let's go to my website. I, and if, how do you get to my website? Say, so go to uh, got go to go online and type in Centurion Law Enforcement Ministry. My website will come up. And there's, I have a link there that says, no God, with a question mark. And there's a thing there called the good person test. I say, take the good person test and tell me how you do. And I say, take it. And then at the end, tell me if you're still a good person. And you're going to find out, guess what? You're not a good person. And by the way, even me as a, as a Christian cop, I'm not a good person. And then I tell them, I take them, there's a link there and says, how do you, know, how do you get saved? But it really comes down to this. I'll ask brothers, and I'm doing it right now. If you're listening to this broadcast, you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about believing in God, so is the devil. I'm not talking about uh, doing good things as cops. It's not going to cut it. And none of those things are going to work. Oh, you don't believe me? Okay, fine. You're, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with God himself. He wrote the book, Never Been Disproven. And, people, and I said, look, even if I'm wrong, 
If I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. Eh, we're all going. It doesn't matter. If I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. But if you're wrong, brother, where you, once this life ends, there's no, there's no second chances. You have every second chance now. So it's the thing that Mike did with, you know, this, his, his fellow detective. I said, you got to share the gospel. And what's the gospel? God loves you. He died for you. He wants you to get saved. His desire is that none should perish. Show him that in scripture. His desire is that you don't die. Well, why will he die? He goes, because he's a gentleman. He already knows who's going to get saved, but he still gives people free will. It's a miracle of God. It, it was with me. It was a miracle of God that I didn't pull the trigger on that Glock. It was a miracle of God that he saved that I didn't die in the line of duty. It's a miracle of God, actually, that I wake up each day because I keep thinking I'm not going to wake up the next day. But I share the hope found only in Jesus Christ. He says, how do I be saved? Cry out to God and ask him to save you. Just cry out to him. He says, Lord, I don't know what to do. Save me. His word is true. Believe. Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The word believe, though, means not what doesn't believe like the devil believes. It means to surrender in faith, to give him all, to turn to him in faith. Save me, Lord. And then go find yourself a solid Bible teaching church and go find yourself, I know we're rare, a Christian cop. I'll point you in the direction of some other Christian cops. Be in fellowship with others. Grow in your faith. Believe that you're saved if you truly surrender. It's a process. It really is. But if God can save me, he can save anybody. Period. There is no doubt whatsoever that I have in mind. And brother, I'll tell you this. The same code. My, my dad was a mean, nasty drunk. But the uh, first person God used me to, to lead to saving faith with my dad. Mm. And I got to preach at his funeral and tell people he served with in Vietnam that my dad had come to a saving faith. I even got a priest to say amen. Now, I'm not sure how legitimate that was. But my first preaching you know, funeral service was for my dad's funeral. And I get to spend eternity in heaven with my dad. And my other heroes who surrendered in faith, my desire, my desire is to spend eternity with my fellow heroes. And it is untenable for me to sit by and do nothing while my brothers and sisters, we would give each other, we'll run code to cover them on a call, but we won't tell them about Jesus. That's messed up. We've got to tell people about Christ. And if you're listening to this today and you do know Jesus, please, please tell others about it. If you don't know how to do that, go to my website. I got it right there. You follow, follow. It's step by step. So it's really there. And so, and I just like, if you would, just let me to pray here. And uh, as I turn the floor back over to you, but I would just like to pray for that. Uh, for the unsaved officers that may hear this message, uh, unsaved family members, and even for the saved who need a bit of encouragement. Will you let me do that, brother? Absolutely. Go for it. Well, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we humbly come before you as our king, as our captain, as our ultimate chief. Lord, we pray right now for that unsaved officer. Even if one person hears this message and comes to faith, Lord, we know that we've done accomplished a good thing. Lord, we just want to be able to hear 19 words that begin with, well done, good and faithful servant, when we stand before you. 
Lord, we know that we're not good and faithful by what we do as cops, but we're good and faithful by how we serve you. So, Lord, I just pray for that unsaved officer, that they would hear this, that they would surrender in faith to you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, for that Christian officer, that rare thing, the rarest of things in our profession, probably less than 5%, who know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, minister to them with your word. And Lord, and if that officer is hearing this, step out in faith. We'll run into burning buildings for one another. We'll run into the sound of gunfire, but we won't share the message of the gospel. We got to be better than that. So Lord, my prayer is for that officer to be encouraged, to be challenged, to step out in faith and just say, here's what God has done for me. And I just know, Lord, that if you could save me, you can save anybody. I thank you, Lord, for the call you've placed on our lives. I thank you for this show. Thank you for this special time that, that we had together to just to, to, break, to, if you will, break spiritual bread together, Lord. And uh, I pray a covering of protection over my brother as he continues to serve and protect his family, Lord, and protect and honor this ministry as we get ready to, as we get ready again, Lord, to go to Washington in a couple of months, uh, to go out there and into, and literally into what uh, uh, fellow missionary C.T. Studd said, says, someone has to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Lord, give us the strength to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. MC, awesome stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. It was an honor to have MC on the podcast to hear about his career and his testimony and also his bold proclamation of truth. You can find out more about MC and the Centurion Law Enforcement Ministry at thecenturionlawenforcementministry.org. You can also follow the ministry on Facebook. I'll also have a link to his ministry website in my show notes. After the episode, as I spoke to MC more, I realized I missed a great opportunity to ask him about how he got his nickname, MC, and hopefully, I'll do that story justice now as I share it. As you heard, his first name is Michael and C is his middle initial. As an officer in training with his field training officer, he was called Willie. He was not a fan of that nickname at all, but he was also a new guy and that's what they called him. So that's what he went by. On a shift, he and his FTO and other officers witnessed a man beating on a woman. The suspect was fairly large and several officers failed to be able to take him to the ground. But MC is not a small guy, and you heard he was at one point in his life a nationally ranked weightlifter, so he was able to pick this guy up and basically pile drive him into the ground and stop the assault on that woman. And it was at that moment that his FTO told him that he had, quote, hammered the suspect into the ground and said that from then on they were gonna call him MC Hammer, thus bringing about the MC nickname uh, after MC Hammer. Uh, because it matched his first and middle initial. Now, I share that story because it's cool. It's an entertaining story, obviously. But also, in talking to MC, there's no doubt he would have been a cop I would have loved to work with, a cop's cop that can handle business and who loves the Lord. I think many times those of us who serve in law enforcement or fields like it feel that it's weak to surrender our lives to Jesus. Men capable of righteous violence but incapable Uh, many times of facing our own sin, our own depravity, and repenting of it and surrendering our lives in service to the warrior king 
as MC and I discussed. In our culture, and sadly in many of our churches, Jesus has been turned into a shriveled up weakling, completely timid and quiet. And for sure, we know that Jesus was the final sacrifice for our sins, led like a lamb to the slaughter, as Isaiah says, but this was not because he was weak, but because he was strong. Facing what he was to face, he actually sweat drops of blood as he prayed to God the Father to lift the cup of suffering from him that he was about to face. He was not weak, but strong. Currently, he sits in heaven with the world as his footstool, and one day he is going to return to judge the living and the dead. I pray that you're ready for your day before him, and I'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. But next, I wanted to give an update about the podcast. This was my final interview on Diakonos, a Cop's Calling podcast. I can't think of a better guest than MC to close out this podcast. Over the past two plus years, I've strived to meet the mission of this podcast, that being to promote law enforcement with biblical truth and help people better understand the profession. Within that mission have been several goals, not the least of which has been to share the gospel of hope found in Jesus Christ alone. Having MC on as my final guest was the pinnacle of that mission. MC is a cop who's seen a lot, he's experienced a lot, he understands the biblical mission of law enforcement and is passionate about sharing the gospel. I know many will be disappointed that I'm ending this podcast, and believe me, it's bittersweet for me as well. Over the course of this podcast, I've got to connect with many different people, both officers and civilians, who are both local and out of state. I've sought to speak truth and issue cautions to a profession that in many ways is bowing to culture instead of fulfilling its biblical mission as laid out in Romans 13, 1-4. I've also talked about leadership and I've pushed back against the negative narrative regarding the police. I've been absolutely honored to give officers a seat at my podcast table to tell their stories and why they do the job when some seek to silence and demonize them. I've also had the honor of sitting down with pastors, professors, podcasters, and people who have lived past criminal lifestyles before surrendering their lives to Jesus. It has been an absolute honor to know that many people have given time to listen to this humble little podcast and an absolute honor to have people sit at my table either in person or via internet uh, and talk about their stories and what they have experienced. You're probably curious to know why I'm drawing it to a close. Ultimately, it comes down to two things, one being stage of life with my family, where I want to bring more focus, involvement, discipleship, and quality of time to my wife, Lauren, and our kids. The second is a, is a mental break. When I started this podcast, I, reti- I had retired and was not working in law enforcement. However, as many of you uh, know, at the beginning of 2022, I got back on the job full time. And what I found over the last uh, one plus years uh, is that I'm eating, breathing, sleeping cop stuff. I'm finding that I'm never off duty in my mind, and it's just not sustainable uh, for me at this point. So what does the future hold for uh, the podcast, if any future at all? To be honest, I don't know. I do know that Diagnostic Cops Calling, as you know it, uh, as it has been, is done. I will say that Gary and I have thoroughly enjoyed doing the Low Expectation episodes, and those we will both miss very much. In fact, the official last episode of the podcast will be a Low Expectations episode on April 4th. That will be the final episode of Diakonasa Cops Calling. 
All the episodes, all the episodes that are out there will remain available wherever you listen to podcasts. I plan on keeping them up for the foreseeable future. There's nearly 150 hours of content that myself and Gary have put out there, and many fans are still listening to it, and new fans are discovering it. So I want to keep that content up for as long as possible. The dude. So in light of this news, the fact that the podcast is drawing to a close, my cue the dip uh, for this episode is a little different. Soon after this podcast was started, this segment called cue the dip was created to recognize officers. It stands up, it stands for kicking up the dust in pursuit, and it's found in one of the root meanings of diakonos. Every day, officers go out and do a job that many critique, but few have the guts to do. I've used this segment to highlight the amazing work of many officers. For this episode, I'm going to get a bit more personal with my cue the dip standouts. That's right. I'm going to highlight two people for this one. My wife, Lauren, and my good friend, Gary Lowe, are this episode's cue the dip recipients. They have no idea uh, that I'm doing this. and, And had I told them beforehand, they both would have been super annoyed. So I'll start with Lauren. Obviously, not a cop, but she's married to me. So that alone would be enough to get cue the dip status. But more than that, she has been by my side for 13 years this coming summer. Most of you don't know her story, and this isn't the platform to share that story, but suffice it to say, she is the strongest, most faithful person I know. Not only has she endured and suffered through her own story, she has been a rock in my story. I give God the glory for bringing her into my life, and had he not, Uh, done so, I'm not sure where I would be today. She has endured with me during some very dark times in both our lives. She continues to endure. She has urged me without nagging to do things that needed to be done so that I could be a better husband and father. She has always listened to me without judgment. She has navigated and continues to navigate the underlying stress of being the wife of a cop. During 2020, just to give you a glimpse of some of that stress, during 2020, when faced with the protests and riots, concerned for my safety, she slept in her clothes as she expected a late night phone call about me being injured. Way back in 2012, she did receive a late night phone call from me. Terrified to answer, I had to call her, I believe, three times before she picked up so that I could tell her that, yes, I had been involved in a critical incident, but but that I was okay. In between all this, she kills it in the mother department, taking care of the day in and day out needs and schedules of the kids so that when I'm at work, I can focus on my job. In many ways, she represents the thousands and thousands of wives who are married to cops. It can be a lonely place. The wife of a cop does many things alone due to shift work. They also have unique stressors that many wives find difficult to understand. She has also supported, encouraged, and stood by me as I did this podcast, even when it meant that my, quote, off-duty days were consumed by hours of podcast work. So it is for this and much more. My wife, Lauren, is cue the dip standout number one for this episode. And with that, Detective Gary Lowe is cue the dip standout number two for this episode. Obviously, Gary does the low expectations episode with me. uh, And on those, he often downplays the cop that he is what he has accomplished in his career, and what he continues to do. But the bottom line is, he's a legend with 22 years in law enforcement and county. Here are just some of the highlights from his decorated career so far. Uh, At the beginning of his career, he quickly set himself apart as a good drug cop on patrol. He was making a lot of drug arrests 
and it got noticed. Uh, this reputation led him to become a member of the Selective Enforcement Unit where I worked with him, and mainly that unit was doing street-level drug work. Uh, I worked with uh, Detective Gary Lowe on that unit, and he was excellent on, on that unit. In fact, he was so good on that unit doing undercover work, he was asked to help Harrisburg City Police Department out uh, in, in their city with doing undercover work, and he went there and did extensive uh, street-level undercover work there for them. He was also a member of the CERT team here in Lancaster County, or the uh, SWAT team. On that team, he was involved in a shooting with an armed suspect whom he shot and wounded to protect his own life and the life of his teammates. And currently, he has held a nearly 13-year assignment in the Special Investigation Unit, uh, SIU. SIU is responsible for investigating crimes against children, child pornography, human trafficking, sex crimes, missing persons, and elder abuse. I believe that he is or will soon be the detective to hold the longest position in this unit. Reason being that most people can't do the work this unit does for as long as he has. It is extremely grueling, mentally taxing, especially the crimes against children and the child pornography cases. Um, you know, it's, it's just a tough, a tough spot. Uh, and he works hard in that unit every day. He's one of the go-to guys, senior guys in that unit. And he does excellent work on cases there and helps many of the other uh, junior detectives do work on their cases as well. In 2020, he was on the line with me and the guys from my unit as we worked the protests and riots. Uh, listen, Gary represents many police officers. I'd go into battle with him. He's a great cop, a great detective, ultimately a great friend. Uh, he is also this week's Cue the Dip standout number two. And I appreciate all he's done to make this podcast what it is. Lastly, I want to close this episode out with a verse that MC noted in our conversation. That being Acts 16.31, where we read about Paul and Silas being in jail when an earthquake strikes so hard that it shakes the foundation of the jail and opens all the jail doors. When the jailers saw this, he drew his sword to kill himself because he thought that all the prisoners had escaped, but they had not. So Paul yelled out to him, urging him not to commit suicide, don't commit suicide, and telling him, all the prisoners had not escaped. They were all still there. They had not left. The jailer then brought Paul and Silas out of the jail and asked them, how can he be saved? And Paul and Silas tell him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what Acts 16.31 says. This is not a belief as the demons believe. We read about that in James 2.19 and MC and I also spoke about this, about that. But this is a belief, a, a repentance of sin, an understanding of your utter depravity. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. An understanding that the wages of that sin is death and eternal separation from God. Romans 6.23 says just that, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus fully man and fully God, came to this earth as a baby born to a virgin. He lived a perfect life, and yet he became sin on our behalf. Paying our debt on the cross, he became the final sacrifice for our sins. And then rising three days later, he conquered sin and death and appeared to many witnesses before ascending into heaven where he currently sits at the right hand of God the Father. But 
he will return to judge the living and the dead. And I will echo what MC says. If the Bible is not true and you believe I have faith in foolishness, I lose nothing. But if the Bible is true and Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and you do not believe in him, you, my friend, lose everything. My hope and my prayer for you is that if you don't know him, to just get one thing out of this podcast and all the episodes I've done, and that is that you would do what Romans 10.9 says and confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then you will be saved. If there is one thing you do in your life, it is my hope and prayer that you kick up the dust in pursuit of this truth and this hope.